Well, good morning, New Day. So good to see you guys. Thanks so much for being here today. Love seeing you each and every week. So glad that you're with us today as we continue our current teaching series called Christ the King, where we're studying the wonderful gospel according to Matthew. Our text today is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. And in these verses, we see the king's teaching on wealth. Matthew wrote his gospel uh, to reveal that Jesus is that great king that God promised to one day send into the world. And today we're seeing the king's teaching on wealth. For the last three weeks, we've been dealing with the topic of hypocrisy. But as we now move into verses 19 to 24, uh, we're switching gears and Jesus is talking about wealth, specifically how we as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, as learners uh, of the words and ways of Jesus ought to relate to and interact with and respond to our wealth. And for our purposes today, we're going to define wealth as follows. We're going to define wealth as surplus. Everyone say surplus. All right, that's how we're defining wealth today, surplus. What we have above and beyond what we need to survive. Now, many third world countries would be like, What's that? What's this weird thing you're talking about? Stuff above and beyond what we need to survive. Uh, but here in America, if anyone ever needed a message like the one we're studying today, it's us. Because in America, we have our necessities, uh, but then we have our, our luxuries. We have our niceties. We have uh, wealth. We have things above and beyond just what we need to survive because we are so abundantly blessed uh, here in this country. And in our passage today, Jesus is dealing with this very topic our wealth, our surplus with what we have above and beyond what we need to survive. And what Jesus is going to teach us today in our text is that those with wealth have at least three very important decisions to make concerning their wealth. And for those of us who are disciples of Jesus, learners of the words and ways of Jesus, we really need to tune in and make sure that we are making the correct decision concerning our wealth. Because when Jesus is Lord and Savior, he doesn't just save us from our sins, he becomes Lord or, or ruler or king over every realm of our life, including the financial realm. All right, so with that, by way of introduction, uh, let's jump into the first of the three important decisions we need to make concerning our wealth. The first decision is this, where will I store it, earth or heaven? And we see this choice in verses 19 to 20, where Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, there's choice number one, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There's choice number two, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so we see very clearly Jesus is saying, hey, where are you going to store it? Heaven or earth? Now the question begs, what in the world does this mean? Like, like what does it mean to lay up treasure on earth? What does it mean to lay up uh, treasure in heaven. And that's what we're going to cover today. Friends, when Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, a lot of people misunderstand that. A lot of people think that what Jesus is talking about is not having any money, any savings, any retirement, no material possession, so on and so forth. But friends, that is not at all what he's talking about. I mean, God commands us not to steal or covet, right? right. 
right? Okay. Well, that assumes that we have some stuff that people want to covet or would be tempted to steal. Likewise, Jesus commands that we be generous, right? That we help those in need. Well, what does that assume? It assumes that we have a little bit of surplus with which we can be generous to help others. Likewise, God commands us to be like the ant who stores up in summer what he knows it's going to need come winter. So you better be saving up for retirement. Don't think this is like against what Jesus teaches to save for retirement. Oh, if I save for retirement, I'm storing up treasure on earth. No, 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 no. That would be to misunderstand what he means. Friends, do you know that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, it says that parents are to save up for their children? Kids are expensive, right? And not only do they need some basic necessities provided for them, but we also have to go ahead and save up for kids because you know what? They're only with us for a short time. Doesn't always feel like that, but that's the case, all right? My daughter's already 16. Can't believe it. She's driving, you know? It goes by quick. So you better save up some of that money to create fond memories with your kids because they're only with you for so long and then they're out of the house. 1 Timothy 6 says this, some of the wealth that God blesses us with, it's just for us to enjoy. Isn't that amazing? But if we just give it all away, thinking that that's what God requires, uh, how can we enjoy that which God's blessed us with if we just give it all away? So friends, no, the Bible does not teach uh, we cannot have money, we cannot have possessions, we cannot have savings, we cannot have retirement, uh, no material possessions are, are the spiritual thing to have. That's just not right. So then what does Jesus mean when he's talking about do not store up treasure on earth? Friends, he's not talking about having wealth He's talking about hoarding wealth. He's not talking about having money. He's talking about using it all to selfishly indulge your every whim and desire and wish. Friends, what he's talking about is, can be laid out and explained to us very clearly in the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. Take a look. Jesus says this. The land of a rich man produced plentifully... And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I got so much, I don't know what to do with it. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build even bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, just indulge your every whim. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. It wasn't wrong that he had wealth. It was wrong that he hoarded it. It wasn't wrong that he had wealth. What was wrong is that he thought it was all for him. And he was rich materially, but he was poor spiritually. Meaning he used none of his surplus to advance God's purposes on the earth, and that's what made him a fool. Now, before we're real quick to point a finger at the rich fool and say, you know, what an idiot, how, how could he be like this? Let's kind of personalize it and look at ourselves because the truth is we often display this same foolishness. There's many people who view wealth as the means by which they can acquire the various status symbols of this life and of this culture that we live in, right? I mean, most of us kind of start out poor. All right, I don't know about you, but when I got married, all right, we, weren't, we weren't rolling in money, okay? Most of us start off a little on the poor side. 
But then as we dedicate ourselves to our craft and as we get better and more skillful and stay longer at the company or whatever, a lot of times we, we are blessed and some of us beyond our wildest imaginations. And many people mistake, mistakenly think that the wealth, the surplus, is for the purpose of acquiring the manifold status symbols of our culture. Now, is it wrong to have any status symbols? No, it's just not the primary purpose for which God blesses us with wealth. But so many of us make the mistake of thinking that it is. So anytime we have a little bit extra, what do we do? We just upgrade. Now, what do we upgrade? And the answer is everything. <laughs> we upgrade our clothes. We upgrade our car. We upgrade our home. We upgrade our hobby. Uh, we, our hobbies. We upgrade our, our vacations. And, and it's almost like there's this unspoken thing. Like, we, you know, we start with the clothes. And then, you know, then we got to get the car. And then, and then it's the house. And then once we have this house, it's like getting the second house. And then once we have that, you know, we, we get a boat. And then, like, once it's the boat, you get the, you know, the plane. And, and if you're super rich, uh, you, you get a jet, you know. And if you're rich beyond that, then you get a yacht, you know. And then if you are uh, uh, still rich beyond that, then you go to outer space like all the billionaires are doing, you know. It's like this unwritten code of what we do with any surplus. And a lot of people have the mindset that anything we have above and beyond, it is for the sole purpose of accumulating things. Now, are any of those things wrong? Some of you have a boat, okay? Invite me out to the lake. I want to go with you, okay? That's awesome. I'm happy for you. You say, I got a second home, Mike. Is that wrong? No, not necessarily. It is not wrong to have money, possessions, things, toys, hobbies, all these kinds of things. They can become wrong, though, when we dedicate our wealth, our surplus, solely to their accumulation. And those things can become wrong if we only get those things by means of robbing God. Friends, on the authority of God's word, 10% belongs to him. You know what the average Christian gives, though, towards gospel advancement through their local church? 2.5%. In the Depression, the Great Depression, it was 3.3%. Nowadays, it's 2.5%. So we see that we have way more in common than sometimes we would like to admit with the rich fool in Jesus' parable. What happens to that other 7.5%, you know? It goes towards, not the work of the gospel, it goes towards accumulating things. And it's because we have so much in common with the rich fool that Jesus tells us in our text today three reasons why hoarding for selfish purposes is wrong. Let me share these three reasons with you. Number one, Jesus says, well, it's not wealth's purpose. Like hoarding's wrong because it's not wealth's purpose to selfishly indulge yourself uh, with the surplus. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, uh, God's word tells us, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So, so is wealth wrong if God's the one who gives it to us? Absolutely not. Wealth's not wrong. But friends, understand this. God gives wealth for a specific purpose. And certainly the reasons are manifold. As we learn from 1 Timothy 6, some of it is given to us so that we can just enjoy as we learn from Proverbs chapter 6, some of it is given so that we can prepare up for winter like the ant does. So we are preparing via retirement for a financial winter. We're being like the ant. But friends, wealth's primary purpose, we must understand, it's not for selfish indulgence, it's for gospel advancement. I'm pausing because I want that to just sink into your hearts and minds. 
the primary purpose of wealth. Not that it all has to go towards this, but the primary purpose of wealth is gospel advancement. God wants the whole world to come to know Jesus. And when we give through our tithes and our offerings, which we're going to talk about more in just a little bit, we advance the cause of the gospel. And this is wealth's primary purpose. Again, I'm pausing because I want it to sink in. Because in our American culture, what do we do? We think that wealth is so we can retire early, get a second home, have nice things, go nice places, have nice experiences. And while none of these things are wrong in and of themselves, hear me clearly, this is just not the primary purpose of wealth, of our surplus, of what we have above and beyond what we need to survive. So number one, it's wrong to hoard because it's not wealth's purpose. Number two, it's wrong to hoard according to Jesus because it's not wise. It's not only not wealth's purpose, it's also just not wise. In Jesus' day, there were three primary forms of wealth. Your clothing, your grain, and your gold would be a user-friendly way to explain it. But Jesus points out in our text that stored clothing can be destroyed by moths, stored grain can be eaten by mice, and stored treasure can be stolen by thieves. And here's Jesus' point. Any wealth we store up here on earth is subject to loss. How well do I personally know this truth? I always wanted a dirt bike growing up. It was my dream. And finally, in my early 20s, I got one. And I loved that thing until a thief came and stole it. And it was gone, never to be seen again or replaced. I remember when I moved back to this area that I grew up in in order to start New Day Church with some friends. And my wife and I, uh, my parents were so gracious to let us uh, move into their, their house for six months. And I had to put my stuff in storage until Kristen and I could look around and see where we wanted to live and all that kind of stuff and get a place of our own. And so we did that. And my number one material possession in all the world at that time was my recliner. It was a red, lazy boy, oversized recliner, and I loved that thing, okay? Before we had children, that was my child, all right? <laughs> and I loved that thing like a child. But it sat in storage for six months. And when I went to pick it up, once Kristen and I found a place of our own, guess what found it? The mice. And they loved it more than I did, all right? They used it as a home, as a nursery, as a toilet, you know, just all. And it was just absolutely destroyed. You see, anything we have here on earth, it's not necessarily wrong to have it. It's just we need to understand that it's subject to loss. The stock market can crash. Thieves can take our valuables. Things can be lost. Uh, things can be, you know, uh, destroyed, so on and so forth. And so Jesus is just saying, uh, secondly, it's not wise to hoard because everything we just hoard up is subject to loss and then we don't have it. And even if it's not stolen by a thief, when we die, we depart from it, right? All right, number three, Jesus says it's wrong to hoard because, uh, thirdly, it reveals a serious heart issue. Look with me at Matthew 6, 21, where Jesus says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, most people understand this verse to be teaching that if you just kind of invest your money uh, in a certain place, you'll become passionate about wherever you're investing it. And while there may be some truth um, in that, that's not the primary thrust of the passage. What Jesus is saying here is that wherever your treasure is, that's very revealing to me concerning where your heart is. 
Jesus is looking down from heaven and he's seeing where we primarily invest our treasure. He's seeing what we do with what we're blessed with materially. And he's looking and seeing uh, what we're doing with it as a gauge of where our heart's at. Is our heart tied up in the things of earth or, or is our heart tied up in the things of heaven? And if all of our wealth is solely dedicated to the accumulation of things, God looks down from heaven and he goes, that person has a heart issue. And we know how serious heart issues are to us physically. Oh, they got a clogged artery. They're at risk for a heart attack. And we go, oh, this is serious. Well, well, friends, spiritually speaking, we can have a heart issue. And it's even more serious than having one physically. It's even more serious to have a heart issue spiritually. So these are the three reasons Jesus says it's wrong to hoard wealth. It's not wealth's purpose. It's not wise. And it reveals a very serious heart issue. So what Jesus does after kind of destroying how glamorous it is to dedicate all our wealth towards things, after destroying that and blowing up that boat, Jesus says, let me give you a a better way. Let me give you a better way. Instead of storing up all your treasure here on earth, Jesus says, why don't you go ahead and store it up in heaven? And again, we have to ask ourselves, well, what does this mean? Now I know what it means to store up things here on earth, but what does it mean to store up treasure in heaven? Well, friends, here's how it works, and it could not be more uh, easy to understand. When we give of our tithes and our offerings... To God, through our local church, for the purpose of the gospel being preached to the lost, people get saved. It happens that new day almost every single week of the year. And when, through our giving, we are a part of that person getting saved, God decides to reward us, and he rewards us with treasure in heaven. We've learned in the last three weeks that when we give right, meaning we give to help the poor, God rewards us with treasure in heaven. We learned that when we pray right with the right motive and in the right manner, God rewards us with treasure in heaven. And we learned last week that when we fast right, God rewards us with treasure in heaven. Well, here now is just the next thing that if we do it, God will reward us for it. When we invest in people's eternity by investing in a local church whose job it is to preach the gospel and make disciples, we are rewarded by God with treasure in heaven. Now, I've been talking about it, but let me talk about it again. The Bible's very clear how to invest our wealth in the spread of the gospel. We do this through the giving of our tithes and our offerings. God says 10% of your income, that belongs to me. That's just to be systematic. You get paid, you give 10% to God through the local church so the church can go ahead and be funded to make disciples. But an offering's different than a tithe. The offering can be systematic like the tithe, but it doesn't have to be. The offering is when something pops up and as you feel led to give, you go ahead and give. It's really for special projects when you study it biblically. When the temple needed to be built, Moses took up an offering. When the, I'm sorry, for the uh, tabernacle to be built, Moses took up an offering. When the temple was to be built, David also gave an offering and invited everyone else to do the same. 
When we built this place, we invited you to give an offering. At New Day, in fact, if you've been around for any number of years, you know that typically every Christmas season, kind of from Thanksgiving to Christmas, we say, hey, it's our annual special Christmas offering. Why do we do that? Because God says to give of the tithes and the offerings. Is it wrong to have material things? Absolutely not. But if we can only have them by robbing God of his tithes and his offerings, they become wrong. So really we see it's about a balance. And the question to ask yourself is this, do I have the balance right? If you're giving of your tithe, if you're giving of your offering, friends, as you feel led by God, as you feel okay to do so, enjoy some of those riches that God has given to you, according to 1 Timothy 6, for your enjoyment. But if you are only able to enjoy these material things by robbing God, it becomes wrong. All right, just as we had three reasons for not laying up our treasure on earth, now that Jesus has introduced us to the better way of laying up treasure in heaven by investing in people coming to know Jesus, he now gives us three reasons for investing in eternity. Let me share these three reasons with you. First, we should give to help people come to know Jesus because it's wealth's purpose. Friends, when God blesses us, part of that is so that we can make an eternal impact on this world for Christ. David understood this well. David used his great wealth to resource the construction of the temple. Take a look. First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 3 to 5. Here's how David addressed the nation. He said, and now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. I am donating more than 112 tons of gold and 262 tons of refined silver. Now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? Now, friends, please understand, David had like several castles. David had a lot of nice stuff. This wasn't every single thing that David had. He used some of what he had to enjoy because that's why God gives it to us. No doubt he used some of it to make memories with his kids. No doubt he used other things. Just have, have some nice food, you know, live in a nice place, have nice, you know, donkeys for transportation or whatever the case might be, you know. You know, you have the leather-seated donkey, you know. With the V8 engine and all the... He, he, probably, he, he definitely, as you read scripture, he enjoyed some nice stuff. But friends, what we're dealing with here, it's the surplus. It, it, it's what he had just above and beyond. And he used some of it for him. But he understood that the primary purpose of wealth is to go ahead and advance God's purposes on the earth. Now, some of you have the means to make a big difference on this earth through your giving... Uh, and that's awesome. And I would just say to you unashamedly and unapologetically that if you ever want to make an investment in kingdom work, uh, I'd encourage you to do that through New Day. And, and again, I just say it unashamedly, unabashedly, uh, do it through New Day. I would invite you, do it through New Day. We have a 14-year track record of reaching people with the good news of Jesus week in and week out. We've grown from eight people to sub-1,400 across three services with two campuses, one digital, one physical, and now we're looking to start another location. And that's going to take finances. And thank God we've been saving. We have plenty, uh, but we also, it never hurts to uh, be in a better position financially as we move into that next phase of the life of our church. And again, I say that because uh, God's purpose is kingdom advancement, the spread of the gospel. 
And that's the very thing we give ourselves to week in and week out here at our church. So number one, give to help people come to know Jesus because it's wealth's purpose. Now, number two, the second reason we're given to help people come to know Jesus is because it's wise. Friends, everything we invest here on earth, the treasures here of earth, they wear out, they rust out, they go out of style, they can be destroyed, they can be stolen, and even when they're not, we still depart with everything we accumulate at death. But we never lose what we store up in heaven. It never rusts out, it never wears out, it never goes out of style, it can't be destroyed, it can't be stolen, and we will never ever part with it. So Jesus just makes this argument, it's the wiser thing to do. Number three, the third reason we're given to help lost people come to know Jesus is because it reveals a healthy heart. Again, we've already covered it. I won't stay long on this point, but God is looking down from heaven, gauging where we're at spiritually. And the way he determines if we have a healthy heart or an unhealthy heart is he looks at what we're doing with our wealth, with our surplus, with our treasure. When he sees that we're giving of our tithes and our offerings, he gives us a clean bill of health. He says that's a person with a healthy heart engage towards the things of heaven. So friends, that's the first choice that we have to make as disciples of Jesus. Where will we store our treasure on earth or in heaven? And now that we've seen the first of the three choices, let's look at the second. The second decision that we need to make concerning our wealth is this. What will my disposition be towards it? Generous or stingy? And we see this choice in verses 22 to 23, where Jesus says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, friends, this is a very confusing verse initially, because here Jesus references a Jewish colloquialism that you and I don't use in our culture. If someone in our culture is stingy, we call them Scrooge, right? If someone's stingy, if they're a cheapskate, they go, oh, look at this Scrooge McDuck, you know? But in Jesus' day, and all throughout Old Testament times, if someone was stingy, if someone was a cheapskate, they were referred to as having an evil eye. Look at that cheapskate. He left a 3% tip at the restaurant, old evil eye there. I want you to see this. Take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 to 8. Well, I guess I only have the reference, but I'll tell you about it. God told the Israelites that if a person was poor and in need, God told the Israelites, don't be stingy toward such a person. But the literal warning in the Hebrew in verse 9 is that your eye not be evil towards them. Don't be a cheapskate towards poor people who are asking for your help. Likewise, in Proverbs chapter 23, Solomon warns us not to eat with people who are stingy. So that's in English. Don't eat with people who are stingy. But in the Hebrew, it says, don't eat with people whose eye is evil. So we're given the sense in English, but in Hebrew, it's literally, don't eat and accept a dinner invitation with an evil eye, with someone who's stingy. So all that to say, when Jesus says in verse 22, if your eye is healthy, he's referring to someone who is generous. And when he says in verse 23, if your eye is bad, he's referring to someone who is stingy. 
And what Jesus says here is this. If your eye is healthy, if you live a generous life, you are walking in the light. Which is another way of saying you're walking in the path that God desires you to walk upon. Conversely, if your eye is bad, that is, if you're stingy with your wealth towards using it to advance uh, kingdom purposes, Jesus says you are walking in darkness, which is another way of saying you're not walking as God desires you to walk in this life. So bringing it all together, not only are we to invest some of our wealth through our tithes and our, our offerings towards kingdom purposes, but when we do, we are to be generous, now, the tithe is fixed, so there's really no generosity with that. It's just 10%. It's fixed. But when we give above and beyond the tithe, the giving of an offering, he, he says, be generous. Be generous. Now, the good news here is that we all know how to be generous towards ourselves. <laughs> when we're thinking of getting that new toy for that new hobby, we are super generous. We're like, oh, it's going to cost $5,000? No problem. Of course, I de of course I deserve. We don't even think about it. We don't need to pray about it. Uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> when we think of going on vacation, we just like, oh, it's going to be $7,000? No problem. We, we, are, we are generous. We are generous. We just like, it's, it's a no-brainer. Listen to this one, all right? When our pets need surgery. There are many people who are like, oh, it's going to be $6,000? No problem. And we're just... just <laughs> We know how to be generous in many different areas. The sad thing is many of us do not understand how to apply that same generosity towards the things of heaven. Is it wrong to go on a nice vacation? Is it wrong to get a toy, even an expensive one for, for your hobby? Not necessarily. God's not saying don't be generous in these other areas. What he is saying is make sure you're also generous with me. And he's saying more than that. What does Matthew 6.33 say? Andrew's going to cover this in just a few weeks, actually next week. It says, seek first the kingdom of God. God is to be the number one priority. So how do we do that financially? Make God the number one priority. Friends, first come tithes and our offerings. Then comes whatever we can do with what's left. So we see that the second decision we have to make concerning our wealth is what will our disposition be towards it? Will we be generous in our disposition or stingy? Will we have a healthy eye or an evil one, to use Jewish colloquialism of Jesus? All right, here now is the third and final decision that we have to make concerning our wealth, and it's this. Number three, who will be Lord over it? And now we come to the heart of the matter. Who is Lord over our wealth, over our surplus, over what God has blessed us with? Is it God or is it mammon? And friends, we see this third choice in verse 24, where Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters for he'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You say, Mike, what's mammon? My translation says God and money. You can't serve God and money. Well, some translations say money, some translations say uh, wealth, some translations say uh, mammon, but, it, but it's all different words to refer to the same thing. But I chose mammon because traditionally mammon is the name given to the false god called materialism. When he says you cannot serve both God and money, it just sounds like, oh, the choice is God uh, or, or money, not not the one true God of heaven, or the false God of materialism. And so I think I tapped into the old King James there. 
Because now it's an issue of lordship. Now it's an issue of two different gods, and it's a question of whom, who will we serve? The true God of heaven or the false God of materialism we call mammon. Who is going to be Lord in your life? Mammon says, it's all for you. So be like the rich fool. Eat, drink, be merry. It's all for you. Just upgrade from one status symbol to the other, to the other, till you're in outer space. God says, some of it's for you. And I want you to enjoy the part that is for you. Guilt-free, enjoy it. Have that hobby, go on that vacation. Create fond memories with your kids. That's part of why I gave it to you. But do not think it's all for you. Enjoy those things, but never at the expense of robbing me, God would say. God does say, Malachi chapter 3. God says, some of it's for you, but its primary purpose is to make an impact for Jesus on this earth. Mammon says, I do not want you to give, but if the Christmas spirit overwhelms you each December and you decide to do something, well, for goodness sake, please be stingy. Have an evil eye. God comes along and says, not only should you give and live with a a generous life, and and not only should you be a giver, but when you give, uh, you should reflect my own generosity. For God so loved the world that he gave. God's a generous God, and if we are his children, we will reflect the family resemblance by reflecting his, his nature, his generous nature. Mammon says this, let me call the shots concerning your wealth. Follow the cues of culture, even though the Bible says God Uh, that Satan is the God of this age. Mammon will say, let me call the shots concerning your wealth. Let me guide you and tell you what's important to spend money on. And and then God just comes in direct contrast to that and says this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. And friends, that includes the God Mammon. And each of us needs to decide who is going to be in charge. God or mammon. If you're a believer, you have three very important decisions to go ahead and think about, and I want you to do that actually just for a moment while I address uh, everyone here who's not saved. So while I'm speaking to those who are not currently disciples of Jesus in just a moment, uh, here's the three decisions you need to reflect on. Here's a summary of the whole teaching. Jesus says, these are the three decisions you need to make concerning wealth. Number one, where will I invest it, earth or heaven? Number two, what will my disposition be towards it, generous or stingy? Number three, who will be Lord over it, God or mammon? And if you're a disciple of Jesus, but you have not been making decisions in accordance with what honors God and is in line with what his word instructs us to do, uh, I want you to just spend a minute repenting to God in your heart. Go ahead and get right with God. You know how to do that. Just go ahead and get right with God. And while you're doing that in your mind and in your heart, I just want to speak to those who are not followers of Jesus just for a minute. For those of you who are not followers of Jesus, all I want to say is this. We have to make Jesus Lord and Savior because if he's not both, then he is neither. What do I mean by that? What I mean is many of us ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins and to be our Savior because we don't want to go to hell, but then many of us fail to appoint him as Lord over our life, as King, as ruler over our life, as the one who gets to call the shots in every realm of our life, including the financial realm. 
And what I want to say to you today is so simple. It's this. You're, you've been considering following Jesus. You've been tuning in online week in and week out. And you're like, I, should I make a decision to follow Jesus? I hope you do. But I don't want to do a bait and switch kind of thing. I want to just let you know right up front that should you decide to follow Jesus, he will expect to be Lord over every area of your life. You cannot do what we call cafeteria Christianity. Oh, this part I like, I'll take some of that. Ooh, green beans, no thank you. Let me move on, you know. We do that with God. Oh, the parts about giving, no, no thank you. That's the green bean of following Jesus. No, I don't, want the, I don't want the spinach, no thank you. Giving, no thank you. Oh, these other parts where God says to bless me and give me eternal life, yes please, let me put that on my plate. That's not how it works. He is Lord and Savior. Or he's neither. So you have to decide. Do you want to follow Jesus? We're going to close in prayer. And for those who are disciples of Jesus, if you need to get right with God, if you've seen an area of your life that you need to repent of, maybe you've been robbing God of the tithes and offerings, if you need to get right with God, you go ahead and do that. But for those of you who are not disciples of Jesus but want to become one today, knowing full well that Jesus wants to rule over every realm of your life, I want to lead you in a prayer. So let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Believers, say what you need to say. Those of you who are not disciples of Jesus, why don't you repeat this prayer in your heart to God? Say, Heavenly Father, uh, forgive me of my sins. I want Jesus to be my Savior. I know I need right standing with you to ever one day enter heaven, and I'm trusting Jesus to give me that right standing. But God, today I'm doing more than asking Jesus to be Savior. I'm inviting him to be Lord. I'm appointing him to rule as king on the throne of my heart. And I will not deny him any realm of my life, including the financial realm. All of my life, I today willingly put under the Lordship of Christ. And God, I thank you that now that I've made Jesus Lord, he is happy to be my Savior. Help us to choose the way of wisdom. But God, we can't do it in our own strength and in our own power. So we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you, you would empower us to walk down that straight and narrow path that you've called us to. For we are disciples of Jesus. We are learners of the words and ways of Jesus. And God, where you lead, we will follow. Help us today, we pray. And we ask in Jesus' name. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. If you've been blessed by what you heard, you can give a one-time or reoccurring gift at newdaychurch.cc forward slash giving or text any amount on your smartphone right now to 84321. We would love to connect with you even more. So be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you and we hope to see you again soon.